everybody. Welcome to Your Team with Sue and Steph. I'm Sue. And I'm Steph, and we are the co-founders and owners of Your Teen Media, the resource for parenting tweens and teens. And today we're talking to Dr. Brian Primack about raising our kids in this space where everything that they do is amplified by social media, and that is both in a good way and sometimes in a very terrible way. But before we talk to him, we're going to talk about you know what it's like today as parents just living in this space where I always thought this when when um, social media first became part of our world, that it was like, would you want to see what you were posting on social media on a billboard? Like you're driving with your family in a car and this billboard pops up with what you just posted on social media and it, it's or or the teacher puts it on the blackboard for everyone to see. And there's this kind of weird disconnect between our behavior and what we understand to be where it goes. Like sometimes, I don't know if you've ever had this stuff where, you know, some, you see somebody and they go, Oh, it looks like you guys had a great vacation. And I'm like (laughs) a little taken, I'm a little taken aback. Like, wait, how did you know? But I posted the pictures on social media, (laughs) but in my head, they were going to the people I wanted to see those pictures. Sure. But in reality, it goes to everyone you're connected with and more. So It's a really odd space to be in. I think about the worry that parents live with today. And I was talking to a friend with a younger kid and she was telling me that what factors into relationships, not just romantic, but also like friendship when, you know, when they're so volatile, when they're in middle school and high school and they, they end right. And they don't always end beautifully. And so now the fear is, where will, will, will the repercussions be more than like being talked yeah. about in school? Mm-hmm. Or play out on other platforms, right? Yeah. And on platforms that people can actually make a video sure. of you looking like you said something that you didn't say. So, whoa, that's terrifying, right? It is terrifying. So um, the beginning of this conversation, you reminded me when you were saying about putting it on a billboard, we had friends who, I don't know if this was their anecdote or they heard it somewhere, whatever, it doesn't matter, um, was don't put anything on social media that you wouldn't scream down the hallway of the middle school. And I was like, hmm, which then harkens me back to, I don't know the answer to this, Sue, but okay, Sue and I have been doing business for somewhere between 15 and 18 years together. We're trying to decide, but I know her pretty well. And I think I think I know the answer, even though we've never talked about it. Did you keep a diary as a kid? Yeah. Of course. Right. I knew, right? Um, And so I was saying, something came up. um, My husband and I were watching something on uh, on TV, and someone came in and read the kid's diary. And I made a joke. I said to my husband, well, she should have kept a lock on it because mine were always locked. And it it got me thinking about- And that that could not be unlocked. I mean, there's no way anybody- in your little diary. Oh, first of all, the key was so small. <laughs> Without my glasses, could I see that key? Does that key exist if I don't have my readers on? I'm going to go with no. But our sense was we were protected from outside viewership, right? Like It's totally it true. It's yeah. totally true. And I still have my diaries. And it's, it's so interesting because you just said it. They're changing so much and there's so much going on inside of them. Like they need a place for it, right? I think you should be able to talk to your friends or have your private space. And then it's like, I keep picturing like it's, um, what was that like on Survivor? One of those games or like Amazing Race or one of those crazy things where like you're jumping over things and the boards are constantly moving. My hands are moving back and forth. No one can see me but Sue. The boards are moving back and forth and you're trying to like avoid like these pitfalls or falling into the water. Like I feel like that's what they're doing. 
Could you imagine like the stamina you need to do that? Well, the one constant here is the development of teenagers. That's never going to change. Like it's, it is actually their brains changing and they're, Mm -hmm. they're behaving exactly predictably as teenagers were. But we've, we as a society have created a space where like they can't rein it in once it happens. And that, I don't know, just overwhelming to me. And when my friend was talking to me, and actually giving me examples of things that have happened, I thought, man, like my kids are older. We dodged a bullet. We really got out without, I mean, there was social media, but there wasn't yet like this ability to, to realize how much you could hurt someone else. Like we're watching, there's this TV show, Beef, which is so popular right now. And it's about um, when you have a beef with somebody and the extent that you will go. So it starts as like one of those car stories where like someone cuts you off or something, right? And I have felt that rage where I want to like, I want to chase them down. I want to do something, but we don't because, because we don't hopefully. Yeah. But it's like that beef that a teenager could have could now get translated to something unbearably harmful, right? Like, Uh and I don't Uh like, I, you know, I was saying to my friend, I never found that calling a mother to talk about something that happened ever went well. And when my friend was telling me about her kid, I, she said, do you, would you ever call the mother? And I said, you know, I think I'm, I would change my answer if it related to something you could prevent. Like if, if there was a, a breakup of some kind and you could call the other mother and say, Let us, let's each talk to our kids about not putting anything public because it can go so bad. Now, I don't know if that will work any better than the old fashioned right. way of talking <laughs> to another right. parent. I think I would be less confident that it wouldn't go well or that it wasn't worth the risk because the, yeah. the downside is so big. Yeah. So, okay. So here's the other thing you were saying, like, you know, you, you dodge that bullet and I feel the same way. So your youngest is how old? 21, 22. Our youngest is 20. I feel like, you know, narrowly escaped. Because we neither of us raised a middle school in today's climate, by definition. Okay. But then you have Jennifer Garner, right, of alias fame and 13 going on 30 and a million other things, who's raising teenagers. And I keep reading about her, and she is keeping them off social media. And she has been saying to them, show me the research. If you show me the research that this is actually good or not harmful, I think is how she said it, um, I'm game. I'm game to listen. And so I'm watching that. So she's playing that out with teens. I think, I mean... Man, talk about going against the grain of what's happening today. Like that has got to be so hard to pull off. And she's famous. And she, right, there's so many other layers to we it. Had, we had a, a family that came into model when we had a print magazine for a photo shoot. And the youngest girl was um, in middle school, I think in eighth grade. And she didn't have a phone or social media. And she was complaining. It wasn't rage. It was like a little annoyance mm. that she was didn't have her phone. And I thought what this dad just did for that girl, I mean, the, the confidence she has had to build over not having what everyone else has. And she'll walk through life differently. Like, I don't know if I would have been that parent. If today we had the knowledge that we had, would I be the one to say no? That's, I don't know. I can't go back. But I, I heard somebody else talk about Jennifer Garner and say, yeah, but she's famous and everyone wants to be friends with her kids. But that's not true in middle school. Like middle school, you don't get points because of who your parents are. And if you're no. if you're a jerk, no one wants to be your friend. It, it is sending, it is telling your kids that like, we don't do it because everybody else does. And I love, I love the fact, at least from what I've been reading, that it's like a, hey, 
I'm open, but you got to show me, bring me the research, bring me no different than we've talked about, like, you know, doing the PowerPoint presentations, the kids, when they're trying to present something just that they want. I agree that like developmentally, they're still in middle school and there's still people who may not like them. And so, yes, the fame piece does add a layer to it, but it doesn't take away you. They're not exempt from, it's not like, oh, so it's easy for her because. My father was the president of the United States, so I never got bullied. Like what kid anywhere has said my mother was an actor and people That's loved right. her, so no one was mean to me. That's, it's not yeah, exactly, exactly. It's a silly conversation. I feel like it's not fair to those, ki- you know, those kids who are going through the same many of the same trials and tribulations, and maybe others and other layers of things our kids don't have. You can make the argument it's way harder for them in some yeah. ways. Yeah, yeah. Although we could round and round this all the time, but the point is there are parents out there who are saying. In fact, the creators of these social networks, social media platforms often have said they haven't let their kids on them. So, you know, what does that tell you? Like they actually understand the um, breadth of what can go wrong and they kept their kids off it. So if we're not learning from them. I was just going to say that is a whole other podcast, right? What they knew and when they knew it. There are age restrictions. It's that they're ignored. Yes, Yes, that is true. I don't know when they let their kids go on. Like, how old is Jennifer Garner's oldest kid? Maybe 15 or 16. Yeah. So I, who knows when these tech people said, oh, okay, now now it's time for you to, you can you can go on. But the point is that they, they knew the, the potential for danger. Um, and so there were, there are restrictions. I think it's 13, which is still very young to think that a 13 year old. Oh my God, it's so young. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, but, but fourth graders have cell phones now, which means they have access to all these other things. I remember one time I was frustrated with a kid and by frustrated, I would say that's an understatement. And so. <laughs> Wait, you're talking about it as a mom, yeah, one yeah. of your kids. Yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. And so I, I said to my husband, they won't give me their phone. This is like many, many years ago. Yeah. So, but I wanted to turn off the Wi-Fi. I had read somewhere a story about like, the, the family, when no one would come to dinner, would turn off the Wi-Fi, which I thought was, it's just so funny because I don't want to fight. I'm not going to fight about it. But yeah. anyway, that kid was texting on their iPod at the time. Oh, but mm-hmm. Whatever it was, I tried so hard to rein <laughs> this in. And I was like, I don't understand the technology enough because I don't get why they're able to do that. And as long ago as you think it was... I was around then because I remember the story. (laughs) So sometime in the last 18 years. in Holland, host of the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. Equipped with a microphone and a long-term fascination of the Kennedy family, I am joined by an incredible cast of experts, friends, and guests to take you on a fun, relaxed, yet informative journey through history and pop culture. From book references to fashion to philanthropy to our modern expectations of the presidency itself, you'll see that there is so much more to Kennedy than just JFK or conspiracy theories. Join me for the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Brian Primack. 
He is a dean and professor with the College of Public Health and Human Services at Oregon State University. He researches the positive and negative effects of media messages on health using his expertise in education, technology, medicine, and human development. He is the author of You Are What You Click, How Being Selective, Positive, and Creative Can Transform Your Social Media Experience. Brian, thanks so much for being here with us. So the news is scary. It's scary for a million reasons, but the most recent thing that I found most upsetting, which was because Stephanie sent me an article, was about a 13-year-old boy who died after attempting the TikTok Benadryl challenge. Now, just a regular kid with some friends who see some stupid Benadryl challenge on TikTok and say, like, let's do this. It is so heavy to hear that story because those kids are acting like kids. They're not any different than we were as kids doing stupid things, but the consequence here is death. So can we start with the, like, why? Why are teens and tweens participating with these viral social media challenges? First of all, thanks for having me on the program. I I really appreciate being here. Young people are participating in these things because it is built into so many things about adolescence. We know that, for example, adolescence is all about risk-taking and sensation-seeking. And so this kind of activity, you know, gives folks a way to do that. But adolescence is also about peer acceptance and comparing yourself to peers. And so this is why viral social media challenges like this are going to be so popular. They combine all kinds of normal things about adolescence and then take them to the next level. Let's stay stay with this same topic in terms of like participating in these challenges. Is that is that just part of the definition of being a teenager today? Like taking in these risks that are stupid for lack of a better word, being persuaded by peers, you know, the pressure of that, is that just what we have? Yes, and in fact, it's not just today. I mean, adolescence has always been about things like risk taking and sensation combined with peer acceptance. It's just that it's taken different forms in the past. So in the past, you know, before there was social media, you would have car races. You would have literally, um, you know, playing chicken. Cars would face each other. And the question was, who was going to be the first to not crash into the other car? And um, you would have challenges that related to this, but occurring in a basement involving alcohol or other substances or something like that. What Today's milieu and social media has done, though, is taken it to a different level because all of a sudden we don't have to just worry about those things, you know, after school or on weekends or, you know, in a basement. We need to be thinking about them 24-7. And we also have influences not just from, you know, neighbors and people in a local area, but we've got influences from an entire world. So the social media world definitely takes it to the next level, but the underlying reasons why teens were involved in these kinds of things are, you know, similar to what they've been for centuries. Which is so scary because we're not going to change the kids. That's not going to happen. They're doing what they're supposed to be doing developmentally. And now we have these new platforms. So do you think that social media companies have any responsibility here? I do think that they do. I mean, just like in the older times, alcohol companies had responsibilities when they would do inappropriate marketing that implied that you should be doing some kind of a chugging 
challenge. So now social media companies, I do think have a responsibility because they need to realize that this is, and they do realize, we know from their internal documents that, that these are kind of the risks of the viralness that they want to happen. The problem is that we've got a very tricky puzzle because this responsibility goes against their bottom line. I mean, when it comes down to it, they want as many things to go viral as often as possible so that they can, you know, have tons and tons of views on every post so that they can get better advertising so that they make more money so that their stock price goes up. And so it's just going to be a very tricky thing. Yes, they have responsibility, but how are we going to actually implement that? Because inherently, often responsibility is going to go against their bottom line. And so we need to be, you know, very cautious and very thoughtful about how we deal with this. I wonder if the, the a lawsuit from, like, say, the family of this 13-year-old, I, I don't know that there will be or there has been or any of those, but, but maybe when it costs them, they would make change. Yeah, I, I agree. And I do think that that is the kind of thing that would make a difference. And yes, there have been lawsuits like that all over the world, in fact, not just in the United States, saying that social media companies, you know, are not being responsible about what they know is happening. And so I do think that, that you're right. That's one piece of the puzzle. Okay. So I'm sitting here thinking about just challenges in general. We had, you know, a million years ago, the ice bucket challenge, and that was fun and it was healthy and it was for a good cause, right? So not all challenges are necessarily bad, but clearly look at this recent, the article we just referenced, right? Um, that can lead to death. How do we teach our kids the difference? Yeah, it's a great point and it's going to be tricky. I'm really glad you brought up the ice bucket challenge because it was something I was thinking about with regard to this. So that was a challenge that went viral that was, I think, overall a very positive thing. Now, interestingly, there were some injuries that occurred related to that one as well. So it wasn't like it was absolutely 100% free of any problems. However, the the positive, you know, probably outweighed the negative because it brought um, information to folks and attention to ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease that not many people, you know, had known about before that. Um, and so I do think that there is a balance here. We don't want to sort of have the message be that we don't ever want anybody to do anything that is potentially viral on social media. We in the pro-social world, I'm the dean of health at Oregon State, and we're constantly thinking about how can we leverage the positivity of viral social media to get out positive messages about our health, exercise, nutrition, and things like that. And so I agree with you that it's going to be a balance and we're going to have to sort of teach our kids, well, how do we do that? One way that we do that is just sort of changing um, how we think about critical thinking in today's world. Before, we had to warn our kids and we had to tell our kids about um, you know, certain kinds of challenges and dangers that were out there. Well, now all of a sudden, like I've been saying, this is you know, 2.0 because the, the challenges are coming from across the world. They're coming 24-7 in the middle of the night, interrupting sleep, et cetera, et cetera. So this is why I, I wrote my book, You Are What You Click, because it was a first attempt to sort of create what I was calling a um, social media pyramid. <laughs> so I kind of thought about, you know, it like diet, you know, because you're saying, well, what, how do we navigate this, this new world? 
Well, in the 1950s, when there was the introduction of processed foods, it was the Wild West for a while. There were all kinds of unhealthy foods that were coming out. And then all of a sudden, every study was saying, oh my gosh, you know, sugar is going to lead to, is bad. Carbs are bad. The fats that are involved in processed food are bad. Eventually, public health had to catch up and emphasize things like fiber and protein. And I think we're at a similar time with regard to social media. Um, there's a little bit of the Wild West out there right now, which leads to sort of unbridled um, things like this. And so what I was trying to do in the book is to uh, create a quote unquote food pyramid um, for social media. And I think that that's the way that we're going to sort of catch up in this new world. So as a parent, I can't keep track of all the viral challenges that are out there. I'm never going to know it like my kids know it. I want to I want to build their resilience and their sense of self-worth to a point where they're not giving into that, which we know is counter to who they are at that moment anyway. So what conversation as a parent am I having with my kid? What does it actually look like? And are there words and scripts and things like that that you can recommend? So um, there are. But I think that the really important thing for us to do as we start to think about our parenting, I mean, I really appreciate what you guys do on this show. And obviously, we as parents of teenagers, I have two teenagers as well, ages 16 and 19. And we are in this situation where, you know, we've got a totally new uh, set of scripts that we need to be thinking about, like you said. I think that the very first thing that we need to do, though, is we need to be very cautious not to let folks blame this on parents. That is what the social media uh, companies are trying to do. So if you watch the testimony of the um, CEO of Instagram, who Adam Mosseri, who recently was saying, hey, I want to uh, start a new Instagram for kids ages 10 to 12 and saying why that, you know, everything was going to be just fine. He was saying, don't worry, we're going to give parents plenty of um, tools. Well, that's actually a script from the tobacco industry uh, who said, oh, you know, please let us our market our products, but don't worry, we're going to give out, you know, materials that tell parents how to talk to their kids about tobacco. Well, what they knew is that kids are designed so that they're going to rebel against a lot of what parents say and think about that. It doesn't mean that we don't have something to, to do, and I'll get to that in a moment, but I just think it's extremely important that we not take the full responsibility and let them put the full responsibility on us. And if you want to see more about this, you can Google my name, Brian Primack, and Sadie Primack, my, um, my teen daughter, we and and in the Chicago Tribune, we recently had a um an editorial that we wrote together saying that we should not let messages from Instagram and other companies, quote unquote, throw parents under the bus. I love what you just said. I certainly don't want TikTok or Instagram putting the burden back on me. I want them to own the burden. And yet I still have a responsibility in this story as a parent, but I don't want the message coming from them. In fact, when I see those things, I, I don't I'm not reading that because I know you have another side to that story, which is the success of your business. I want to hear from someone, third party, Brian, who tells me, okay, how do I keep my kids safe? I mean, isn't that all we want to do in life? We want to keep our kids safe. And here it's resulting in like death. So what, what conversation do I have with my kid? 
Yes, absolutely. So it's big. I mean, the the answer to your question could be, uh, I mean, I put it, I, I created an entire book around it. I, I can't summarize the entire thing in, in just this, but what the book does is it goes through three major sections and talks about sort of three major principles that we can get through our kids with. It starts with the base of the pyramid selectivity. And so these are discussions that you can have exactly with your kids focusing on, you know, we actually have studies that show that if you focus on more interaction with people that you already know, you're significantly less likely to be at risk for things like loneliness, depression, anxiety, things like that. Not only the amount of social media we use, but also the number of platforms. We have independent studies that show that if you and I both use two hours a day of social media, um, and I split that up among seven different platforms and you focus on two different platforms, you're going to be at much lower risk of a whole lot of different problems. So selectivity is not just about, oh, let's limit our use. It's about which platforms we use, how we use them, who we're using them with, etc. The second layer of the social media pyramid that I talk about is positivity. It's how to keep the things that we do and um, consume on, on social media, but also what we put into social media, very positive. And there's a whole explanation for exactly you know, why that is. And then the pinnacle of the social media pyramid is creativity. How do we now take social media and go to the next level and actually have it enhance your life rather than detracting from your life? And examples from this, and I don't mean creativity like arts and crafts, I mean creativity like how do we tailor what we do on social media to our personality? How do we, you know, do advanced level things with social media that really make sure that it is um, serving us rather than us serving those companies? So it's an entire book. Um, you are what you click. And there are all kinds of um, other blogs that you can look at. It's an entire discussion, but those are just few, a few little examples. Before we get to the last question, I just want to ask you, can you give us one example of a conversation that you've had with your teenagers that you felt like you saw it resonate. Yeah, absolutely. Because with my teen, we, we watched that Instagram testimony together. And what I did was something that I talk about in the book, which is sort of, you know, really empowering your teen and getting them to take their own natural sensation seeking and rebelliousness and to actually turn it on those companies that are making a buck off them. And that was something that really resonated with her. And she said, wow, they're trying to manipulate me. And you know what? I don't like being manipulated. And that's when I said, you know what? I think we should write an op-ed together to the Chicago Tribune saying why we together don't like the direction that this is going and how parents are being blamed for this. So I think that that was definitely definitely an aha moment that really worked. We need to take that natural tendency of adolescence and instead of letting them turn it on us, um, to turn it back against the the folks that really are trying to manipulate our youth, uh, which at this point is, is usually social media companies. I, I love two of the things. One, I love like kind of, there's so many conversations Sue and I have had with experts where I get this visual of literally sitting alongside your teen, right? Versus like <laughs> arguing, whatever, like putting yourself you know, squarely next to them. So I love that. 
And I also love the idea of giving parents, it's gray, it's not so black and white. And so some of the things you said, it, it allows me as a parent to not be like, this is bad and this is awful. And we should like, like, hey, let's talk about this. Cause there's some pieces of it that, you know, um, it's not so black and white. And I, I love that that conversation. So thank you for those. Absolutely. And and that sitting alongside is a critical element of what we call media literacy. And I have a chapter about this in the book, but I do think that that is one of the critical things that parents might want to look up and think about is this whole idea of media literacy. Now we think to ourselves, well, we're media literate. We know, um, you know, uh, how to turn on media and how to use media. But when we actually start thinking about it with some examples that I, I use in the book, I think we'll notice that we're not really acting media literate. We don't really understand exactly how these companies are operating and what the best ways are to deal with it. And the media literacy paradigm, for example, one of the major th things that comes out of it is that co-viewing that you're talking about and forming an alliance with your teen over these issues rather than letting them divide us because that is what they are actively trying to do. But, you know, that goes against everything that we want to do as parents. No, that's great. So we're going to wrap up with the same question we ask all of our guests. What is the biggest myth about teens and in this case, social media? I think that the, the biggest myth at this point is that this movement to sort of social media and media 2.0 is only an extension uh, of older technology, you know, just like the invention of the printing press and, you know, the invention of television and things like that. I think it's qualitatively different. Our job is now extremely different. I call it media 2.0. I mean, I do agree with folks who say we've always had challenges that relate to media, but today's media world, where it's 24-7, where it's larger than life, where it, it combines the power of peer persuasion, um, really strong production values, is totally different. And I think parents really need to understand what's going on behind the scenes, which is why I wrote the book. It's why, um, you know, I study this. I had a lot of different things that I could study, but I wanted to study teens and media because today's media world is totally different and we need a totally different set of tools. Brian, thank you so much for being here with us. We really appreciate you sharing your wisdom. Well, thank you. And I really appreciate being invited. Thanks for joining us today. If you have any topics that you want us to talk about, let us know on our Facebook page or email editor at yourteenmag.com. You can follow Your Teen on Facebook by searching Your Teen for Parents and on Instagram and Twitter at Your Teen Mag. Okay, so we're, we're two moms who share everything. We read an article and we go like, oh my God, my friend, my friend has that same story. We listen to a podcast and we think to ourselves, who can we share this with? It was so good. And we're hoping you're the same. We're hoping you're listening to our podcast, Your Team with Sue and Steph, and you're so excited by what you're hearing that you're sharing it with a friend. We're so grateful in advance for you doing that because that changes our whole story. We get much more exposure and we want everyone to hear what our fabulous, talented experts have to say to help us raise our teenagers. You can find more from us at yourteenmag.com and listen to all our episodes on evergreenpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your Team with Sue and Steph is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to executive producer Michael D'Aloya, plus our favorite producer, Hannah Leach, and audio engineer, Gray Longfellow. We'll see you next time.
Hello, and welcome to Guilty Greenie. I feel like we should start off this show by saying it's nearly impossible to be 100% sustainable given the current world we live in. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Not a great analogy for a vegetarian, but you know. (laughs) We're talking uh, about sustainability, maybe not the best analogy. (laughs) Don't eat the elephant is the first rule of the guilty green. There's your first challenge of the week. (laughs) Avoid elephants. What they used to call frugal is now considered sustainable. It's such an aha moment. Frugal to sustainable. You can save money and help the planet. That's going to be our new tagline for sure. You can find Guilty Greenie on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast platform you prefer. And join us in tackling the Guilty Greenie challenges. Until then, stay curiously green. Green.